0: You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Informed. Good to have you with us today. And I am talking to Daniel and Anna Goodman. Morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we're going to be talking about Bible translations a bit later on but as this is Anna's first time on the podcast we have to subject her to the usual question which
1: is Anna why are you a Christian? (laughs) That is a good question isn't it why I why am I a Christian? I am a Christian because um I believe what the Bible says um Jesus is Lord and King and uh he died for me to take away my sins, and um, so I believe everything that is written in the Bible. I believe also because I've had a... Um, I, I believe he's, he speaks to me and talks to me, um, and from a very early age, I I felt I had a relationship with God in, in a way that was real to me. So I guess the two. Um, I have a relationship with him, and I believe everything that's written in the Bible, so... My life is built on that.
2: I mean, you feel like you've had a very special relationship with God since you were young.
1: Yeah. A- age eight was probably the first time where I was just like, wow, this this enormous, huge, magnificent God is actually... Um, loves me and interacting with me. Because that was the first time I felt like he said, said something to me um, in a way that I would say had changed my life forever, really. So...
2: And then your mum's friends were in a prayer meeting and they prayed for you to be filled with the Spirit?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you want me to talk about all of that? I mean, yes, that was, yeah. um, That was when I would say um, it was a very significant hinge point in my life that I'd read the Bible, loved the Bible, believed in Jesus, had a relationship with Jesus, but still felt something was um, missing. And then was at university and went to Aglow um, uh, during the holidays with my mum. And they, they prayed for me and um, I was filled with the spirit in a, uh, in a way that I think took me by surprise. I felt God's power in a way that I knew was outside of myself. I knew wasn't me fabricating this. I was studying um, partly psychology at the time and I, I was almost trying to resist it, being like, if this is just me creating this in my mind, then I'm, I'm gonna stop it. But um, yeah, it's, it, I knew that this was, this was God and that changed it completely. It made my relationship uh, alive in a new way, in a vibrant way. It was like, I'd been reading truth on ice and now I was reading truth on fire and that kind of thing, you know, black and white to color. I could use lots of metaphors, but anyway, that was, that's a nutshell summary version.
0: Brilliant that's amazing. I mean one of the things that but I guess probably the thing that attracted me to city church in the first place and that I've loved about us ever since is um being part of a bunch of people who love the bible um but are not just sort of theoretical or or overly cerebral we you know we love having a real tangible experiential powerful walk with god and it sounds like you you encapsulate both of those very nicely you know the the researcher cerebral thinky give me the evidence um person who's had such a you know clearly vibrant and uh experiential walk with god
1: Mm.
0: yeah 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 cool well today we're going to talk about um bible translations the thing about bible translation or about any translation is that there's no one perfect way to do it um, which is why we've got so many different um, different Bible translations um, and we're ex- just extraordinarily blessed as English speakers um, to have so many um, uh, it's it's quite yeah we take it for granted I guess but it's it's quite remarkable um, and I, I think of it as um, helpful to think of them as a long along a longer spectrum um, so the reason there's no one perfect way of doing a translation is that um, different languages will say things in different ways. It's not just a case of getting every word in the original Greek, say, in the New Testament and saying, well, there's, there's an equivalent word for each Greek word in English, and we just swap them. Different languages put the words of a sentence in, different, in a different order. Um, so if you did just take every word and turn it into an English word, Um, Even if you knew which English word to use, you wouldn't end up with a sentence that makes a lot of sense in English. Um, So there are different philosophies then as to how Bible translators go about it. Um, And you can kind of basically put them on a spectrum. At one end of the spectrum, there are the the Bible translations that go um, really word for word. So as, as much as they can and still make sense in English. They they just translate each word um, into an English word and maybe reorder them a bit or whatever, but basically um, stick as close as you can. Um, And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the thought for thought translations where they don't worry about the original words. They say, what was the idea that this original sentence was communicating? Okay, well, how would we say that most naturally in English or in whatever other languages? and so it's not trying to be uh, equivalent in, in, in to every word, but it's trying to communicate the same idea. Um, what do you, which which end of the spectrum do you guys prefer in your Bible reading?
1: Um, I'm, I have a message Bible, but I don't really use it at all. Um, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm a scientist, uh, by training and a researcher. And so I, I would prefer to read the more accurate side of things. So ESV is kind of my main Bible, generally speaking, just because I would prefer to, to work through and chew over that side of things that being sort of more word for word. Um, and for it just, just to know and have that security that it's, it's, as accurate as possible. Um so that's so the
2: NIV is the one that you have physically in front of you these days.
1: So, yeah, today. I, I'm a big believer in reading different versions um and sort of getting getting the sense of of them through different versions. Mm-hmm. Um so and and I do have also um an NLT study bible that I'm also using in conjunction with all of that. So um maybe I'm a bit bit of everything, but I'm definitely not yeah, I mean, I'm not massive massive fan of um, the
0: the message side of things myself. It's a trade off, right? At the at the end of the spectrum, where the thought for thought, which the message is an extreme example of, NLT would be a less extreme example of. Um, you you have the advantage that um, you're probably not going to misunderstand it, um, but the disadvantage is that there's a a more interpretation has gone on between the original text and the English text. Mm. Um, And it's that interpretation has been done by people who really know what they're talking about Mm. um, in terms of the original languages and so on. So they're they're probably there or thereabouts. Mm. Um, But a disadvantage is if there's if there's debate or it's unclear what a particular original sentence might have meant and perhaps you know, there's there's a debate going on in the theology world. Is it this or is it that? The NLT will have to pick and go for one of them, whereas something like the ESV might preserve that ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. You, Daniel, you tend to you tend to go for the likes of the NASB and the ESV, which are down that word for word end of the spectrum, don't you?
2: Well, I I um I do love the Bible and have got many Bibles. I think if i'm actually completely honest i think um i've probably read the nlt which is more thought for thought as much as i have read um the more word for word translations because they're easy to read quickly um Mm -hmm. and i don't mean that i mean that you can read huge you know you can read the whole book of the bible at one sitting quite easily um and I had a version of the NLT which was divided into daily devotions. so I did that for a few years so I've I've probably read the NLT three or four times cover to cover um possibly the same with the ESV um currently I'm reading the the NASB um for the second time really strongly word for word isn't it yeah um but but what I what I tend to do is I tend to um lay alongside it something like the message um because what what it does is it kind of it gets to the essence of what a paragraph is about Um, as you say it strips away a lot of the nuance but if you're sort of looking at a paragraph struggling to think I'm not really sure what the main point of this is I can't quite see it I'll often look it up in the message and see what Eugene Peterson's made of it and think "Ah, oh right okay that at least gives me a way in to understand what's being said here so with any given book of the Bible I'll read it with with, with an ESV or an NLT, but then I'll also read it with a message and highlight particular, verse, particular sentences, just thinking that is a really lovely way to articulate that idea. And I might then put that sentence into the margin of the NASB or something. So that if I'm coming back to preach it, I can have that, that sort of like, he distills things really, really effectively.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you and I, Daniel, had the privilege of, of engaging with the Bible as part of our job and in in all sorts of different contexts and so I find myself using different translations for different things absolutely um, because I think the way to look at it it's not that that one translation is best or worst Uh, so for example just to give you to to capture it if we walk down the spectrum from say NASB at one end um, I've tended to use NASB for preach prep um, because it it's quite clunky English but it gets you it gets you to it's quite close to the original words. Um, for a long time, I've tended to use ESV in sort of devotional reading. Um, again, the it's not very natural English, um, uh, but uh, if you can hack that, then then it gets you close to the original. Um, sitting somewhere in the middle is um, NIV and CSB. Um, uh, CSB, actually, I've started using devotionally a bit recently, but um, if I'm standing up to preach I will normally read the NIV because it's a nice middle of the road or the CSB um, nice middle of the road Uh, it's not too not too clunky it's not too woodenly word for word Um, but it's it's not completely uh, reworded and and got loads of layers of interpretation in it that's not to say that something like the NLT has. Um, So NLT would be next, which is what I would read out during worship. Um, I don't want people to have to massively turn on their brains at this point to decode this complicated English sentence. I just want to inspire people with this piece of truth. So um, here, have it in the NLT. Um, Having um, apps on our phones, those of us who like to read the Bible that way is a blessing, isn't it? Because you can just flick any of these up at any point. Um, I thought it'd be helpful I just pulled up a, a verse and it might be helpful for people who have like not encountered some of these different translations or thought about it like this just to read um, one verse so this is 1 Corinthians no sorry it's 2 Corinthians 1 11 um, uh, I'll just read it in some of these different translations um, so over at the word for word end the NASB says um, if you also join in helping us through your prayers So that thanks may be given by many persons in our behalf for the favour granted to us through the prayers of many. I probably would never say a sentence quite like that in my everyday English. Um, (laughs) But it is really helping you get at, you know, pretty close to the words that um, Paul wrote. Um, ESV, then you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Again, still not very colloquial, but a bit bit more on that direction. Something in the middle, NIV, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Um, CSB, while you join in helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Um, And then we move to NLT, where you'll notice more of a difference here Um, and you are helping us by praying for us then many people will give thanks because god has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety starting to reword it a bit but a lot easier to get at what what it's about
2: yeah
0: and then way down that end of the spectrum the message you and your prayers are part of the rescue operation i don't want you in the dark about that either i can see your faces even now lifted in praise for god's deliverance of us a rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part?
2: I think I'd, I'd um, if that, to what seems to happen to my ear is that you go from something which sounds um, like a sentence you wouldn't naturally say in English at the NASB, so it's quite hard to follow it, then you get to the NLT and that is much, much easier to follow. I think For me, the NLT is the sweet spot because by the time you get down past that to the message, uh, you'll notice that the message was a longer, a longer Mm. verse. You have to add in new words and you end up with a Bible that's 30% longer than your your average translation. And so I think it actually, in some ways, becomes harder again. Um, So I think, for me, uh, the NLT kind of manages to strike the balance really well and the niv between the meaning and withholding some simplicity
0: yeah yeah so i think if if someone said to us what i'm only going to use one bible translation for the next 10 years which one should it be we're going to say one of those ones that's somewhere in the middle right not yeah either extreme yeah yeah well we wanted to give some time to talk particularly about the passion translation Um, Because that's a bit different to all of the translations that we've been talking about um, so far. Um, It's a little bit similar to the message, um, but different even to that. So, um, Daniel, what are some of the differences between the Passion Translation and the other ones on the market?
2: So the Passion Translation is, um, as far as I know, not, not yet complete. So that's how new it is. Um, you can buy certain books of the Bible. I think you can buy the New Testament now with Psalms and Proverbs and that sort of stuff. So it's um, it's so new that it's not completed, but it's been around since about twenty fifteen or something like that when it when it was first books were published. Um, it's significantly different from all of those translations that you've talked about, apart from the message, because it's essentially done by one person. Um, so. The website says that they consulted other people, um, and I hope that's true, but it's not not easy to follow up on exactly who those people were, how qualified they were, and um, what that process of, of review was. But if you compare that to something like the NIV, which has a very long history and has tens of qualified scholars working on it, has a committee any changes that are made have to be approved by something like 70% of the committee or or more. Um, It's it's worked on by people who are specialists. This is the NIV. It's worked on by people who are specialists in one of the three biblical languages, Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic. Um, And then it's checked by editors and stylists and um, by the rest of the committee and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's incomparable in a way. The NIV is a huge work of scholarship, whereas The Passion is um, a passion project for an individual who's who's, um, possibly uh, been helped by some others, but we're not quite sure to what extent that is. And I don't think um, Brian Simmons, who's the the main translator of The Passion, is not academically uh, qualified in the same way that you would expect for a uh, sort of official use bible translation so he as far as i can tell is not um an academic qualified in one of the three key biblical languages and neither is he a specialist in one of the 66 books of the bible so what would normally happen in a translation is that uh, a specialist in the book of genesis would translate the book of genesis and a specialist in the book of James would translate the book of James, um, even though that's in the same Bible translation. It's been done by a specialist. Not only are they a specialist in that book, they're a specialist in that language. They're not necessarily a specialist in all three languages. Um, Because you're talking about 66 books and three languages, ancient languages. I mean, it's it's a lot to ask for someone to be an expert in all of those things. Um, So the passion is very different in that regard. It's done by one person. He uh, seems to not be academically qualified in the same way that others are, and he doesn't seem to be going through the same rigorous process that others do, as as far as I can tell. Hmm.
0: And it's interesting, isn't it? You might think that um, academic qualifications aren't that important in the Christian life. Doesn't God choose the weak and the foolish? Um, Why is that something that you're particularly drawing attention to
2: you well i think the word of god is one of the most important things in the world isn't it and for us to have that accurately given to us is is of paramount importance um you can see that jesus had a relationship with the old testament where he would memorized it and he knew huge portions of it and he quoted it and same with paul and other new testament believers so we need to have the same regard and i think um it's important for us to hear what God is saying to us. We understand that it's being translated from one language into another um, because there are multiple languages across the world, but we're wanting that to be done as carefully as possible. And so the idea really is that the more qualified a translator is, the more invisible they are. You know, like you sometimes I hear as a musician, the, the best drummer is the one you don't notice. If you don't notice them, then they're really in the pocket and they're playing sensitively. You know, it's the bad drama that you really notice. When you're looking at Bible translations, you want a Bible translator who's allowing you to hear the voice of God, not allowing you to hear their voice. Um, and so they're trying to translate it with as little meaning as, as possible or or as accurate a meaning as possible. And that takes that takes a great deal of skill. And it's, um, you know, everything we do, we should do to the glory of God. We should do it well. We should do it wisely. We should, we should, we should um, love the fact that we're a body. One is an ear, one is an eye, one is a nose. We have different gifts. And some people like a Johan are gifted academically with these ancient languages and with translation and are in a peer reviewed environment where we can be sure that what we're getting is as close to the original as possible so you you wouldn't want to go into open heart surgery with someone who's not qualified with the with the thought that well god uses the week um surely you'd understand that you want someone who's who's qualified to do that and that's a great blessing to you nice line um
0: so uh, the message was also done by one person um how, how would you compare the two the message and the passion
2: There's quite a lot of differences. I mean, for one thing, um, the message doesn't claim to be the Bible, whereas the passion does claim to be the Bible. So this is a translation. The the message doesn't make that claim for itself. Uh, Secondly, uh, the message was translated by a specialist, a linguist. Eugene Peterson was qualified in an ancient language. And um, thirdly, he, he was very, very hesitant for people to pick it up and use it as a Bible. And so, you know, anecdotally, I've heard of people having conversations with Peterson where he, he would walk into a, a church as a, as a visitor and they would be preaching from the message and he would cringe. You know, he would actually address the pastor after the service and say, I didn't write it so you could preach from it. It's not appropriate for you to do that. Um, the publishers put a lot of pressure on him to include verses and chapters. He didn't want to do that. He, you know, he was resisting these things. And, um, and so I think the fact that he's very upfront about it being a, trans, a sort of a paraphrase, um, it's almost like a children's Bible for adults. You know, it's in other words, and I'm being very upfront about that. And I actually do know what I'm talking about because I'm, I'm a specialist in this language. So I'm, I'm doing that as well as I possibly can. Um, I think that that makes it categorically different from the Passion, where the Passion does claim to be a Bible translation. And further, um, Brian Simmons claims um, to have been visited by God, that God commissioned him to do it, that God gave him secrets of the Hebrew language, that God gave him uh, secrets about homonyms, and um, that he's used the original Aramaic texts. Um, So he's he's making some extraordinary claims in terms of personal encounters with God as a basis for this translation even to the point where God God has kind of inspired I'm not sure that's quite the right word but God has helped him um, with the footnotes and um, at the same time academically he's claiming that he's using original Aramaic manuscripts Um, so you know, Eugene Peterson isn't claiming any of those things. It's, it's a very, very different situation.
0: Okay, so the, there's several things going on there. So you've raised the issue of um, how they present themselves, how they're marketed effectively. Um, and you say, okay, um, uh, the patronization claims that you, know, you could use it as its main Bible, or I can't remember exactly what the words are. Mm. Um, you'll say, well, no, you couldn't. That's not how you would use something um, like this. Um, but then you're saying that e- even if you were going to use it as like you would use the message, you, there are still some other issues that you're um, raising around this idea of um, uh, Brian Simmons' encounters with God. Now, we love encounters with God. So, t- so tease out for us what, what, what you are maybe concerned about
2: there. So we, we love encounters with God. But um, you'll see how people like Paul talk about them. He talked about his encounters with God, even being caught up into third heaven. He talked about them with great discretion. And all, all the way through Second Corinthians, he's actually appealing to God's strength and not his own encounter. So it, it's, quite, it's quite a bold claim for someone like Brian Simmons to say, this is a reason to read this. Um, so... It's difficult because I'm not saying he hasn't had encounters with God uh, or that God didn't encourage him to do this. I just think we need to be careful with um, how, much, how much weight you put on that specific claim in terms of um, it being a reason to, to avoid all the alarm bells that are going off otherwise because of this translation. So if we, if we pick up specific academic problems with it, you, you can't then reply with, yes, but God told him. I mean, I think if you if you did that, you'd be in you'd be in dangerous territory because we know that God speaks to us today. But we hear in part. We prophesy in part. And so we need we need each other to weigh that. It needs to be rigorous. It needs to you you need to to put weight on it. I mean, Brian Simmons talks about um, being caught up in in a dream into an encounter with Jesus where Jesus takes him through the library of heaven and allows him to take two books out of heaven and points to a third book, um, which is the the last chapter of the book of John, which one day he'll be allowed to take. I mean, these these are extraordinary claims. He he, he claims that Jesus has given him secrets of um, the Aramaic language, um, and that things are being revealed to him from heaven. He's been given a a spirit of revelation. Um, He talks about God telling him so many things he can't even put it all in, so he has to put it in the footnotes. so it's, I think because he's majoring so much on those things, uh, I think you, you, if you're making great claims, those great claims need to be greatly weighed, I suppose.
0: And I guess it sounds like what you're saying is that, um, well, if, if I've understood what you think correctly, it's like, um, it's one thing to have an encounter with God, and to feel he's revealed stuff to you and to write about it so others can weigh it and consider it and benefit from it as well. It's quite another thing to to put that in the format of a Bible um, because we would normally take the Bible as our benchmark against which to weigh Absolutely. all the other revelatory experiences we have. Yeah. Um, so that sounds... At, what you're describing sounds like it could be quite unhelpful
2: yeah i mean if you're if you're trying to make a case for some theological point and in order to make that case you have to rewrite the bible then you probably can't make that case um if you can make that case from the nasb you're probably on safer ground mm. so it does become circular you don't want to write a bible which you use to weigh encounters with god knowing that that bible will allow you to do the things you, you want it to do and i'm not, I'm not suggesting he's doing that um, i'm just saying that he he's he's putting these claims front and center in terms of why you should read the bible and i think that needs to be met with the same rigorous um level of weighing mm.
1: didn't, didn't you say that like i think you alluded to it then, but about him guessing an extra chapter of john which you know john chapter 22 which is not in the current bible so for me that is like major alarm bells because is he saying that he would he would receive that and add it and then then you're adding to the bible so
2: well he's not received it that's the point he god has shown it to him it exists but he's not ready to receive it so he hasn't received it um but he has received two other books from the library of heaven we don't he doesn't say anything about whether those are significant for his bible translation specifically um he does say that the translation is named after an angel an angel called passion um who that god showed him um and he uses language like god downloaded things to me god put a chip in my mind god touched me on the forehead and so he you know these are these are claims to i mean they sound to me like claims to a secret knowledge which is like a heavenly ability that goes beyond um other people uh, as if without this, you couldn't translate the Bible properly. So I, I think those are bold claims, and that they just need to be—we need to be discerning about how much credibility to 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 give them, how much weight we lean on. them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, scholars who who look at the New Testament sort of detect that um, some of some of what's in there might be actually writing against another religious stream at the time called Gnosticism or like an early, early version of something that later became Gnosticism that, um, that really emphasised, or we have secret knowledge downloaded from, from heaven or whatever. And, and the Christian claim was saying, no, it's not. I mean, you get this sort of thing in one John, particularly, um, you don't need a special anointing. You don't, um, you all have knowledge. You all have the anointing. Um, I haven't got one John open in front of me, so I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but, uh, uh so that's not to say that that's not to say that brian simmons is not a christian he's a gnostic but it's to say that actually this kind of thinking of of uh secret knowledge has been something the church has had to
2: guard against before mm. yeah, yeah. There, are, there are two really big academic claims that that brian simmons makes that i think really uh, don't they do underpin his whole translation philosophy but they don't really um, bear weight when you press into them, but they they might sound plausible to people who aren't um, that familiar with the arguments. So the one one claim that he makes is that he has based his translation on the original Aramaic manuscripts. Um, this is a really really problematic claim because um, I think ninety nine percent of you know New Testament scholars um, so. Um, This is what Naijay Gupta, who's a New Testament translator, says. 99.9% of scholars agree that the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, Brian Simmons is saying there are original Aramaic manuscripts. This is the language that Jesus spoke. It's true that Jesus spoke Aramaic. um, But there aren't Aramaic manuscripts, as far as I can tell. Um, Although some of the Greek manuscripts we have do include the odd aramaic word i suppose a famous example of that would be abba so um, within the greek manuscripts are aramaic words just like within the english language are french words like entrepreneur say um bon appetit you know we would use french words and people would understand it um but he's saying no no this is jesus spoke in aramaic and so did the apostles so they probably these original manuscripts were in aramaic and and because those have been lost, he he uses um, the Peshitta to translate um, the New Testament. The Peshitta is an Aramaic dialect translation of Greek. So what you I think it, you're you're sort of getting into the kind of you know that child's game telephone where you whisper into someone's ear and they whisper into someone's ear and they whisper into someone's ear and see how many changes you can get. So Jesus spoke in Aramaic, but those those manuscripts were lost. This is his hypothesis, I think. Um, that was written in, in Greek, translated into Greek, um, but then later on was translated, I suppose, back into Aramaic. Um, and so he's using that to translate the New Testament. I mean, there's all sorts of problems with that. For, for one thing, the, the Peshitta isn't in the same dialect of Aramaic as Jesus spoke. Um, it's in a Syrian um, dialect. And it was written hundreds of years later. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot, lot, long time after those original documents. But it, it, I think it's also just, if you think about it, it, it is not that likely that someone like Paul, who is you know, a Greek speaker writing to the church in say Rome or Corinth or, or Ephesus or Philippi would be writing those in Aramaic um, where there were huge Gentile populations where Greek is the lingua franca of the world. So um, I I don't think logically it makes sense. And I I don't think historically, in terms of the evidence, it makes sense. But what it it does is it allows him to um, introduce all sorts of new ideas because he's not using only the Greek, he's also using the Aramaic. So let me just read a couple of things that he said. Um, It's a translation of the original Hebrew comma Aramaic comma that is going to shock the daylights out of you it's absolutely going to stun you so that's one of his quotes what if for 2,000 years the church has been robbed of what Jesus really said Uh, here's another one 90% of the problems you have with understanding the text of the Bible 90% of them disappear with the Aramaic text so um As far as we know, there is no Aramaic text other than the Peshitta, which is hundreds of years later in a different dialect. Um, So we're not exactly sure what he means by the original Aramaic, unless it's this Peshitta, um, which is not lost. You know, it's never been lost. It's been it's it's on the shelf. All scholarship are aware of it. Um, But this kind of claim that 90 percent of the problems go away, it's because he 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 can begin to introduce other things uh, through this Aramaic so the the second big claim he makes is related to it and that's about homonyms Um, so both of these things he thinks are um, so here's a quote from Brian Simmons now when Jesus came to me and said I'm going to give you the secrets one of the secrets he gave me was that of homonyms that's a quote from Brian Simmons so he's claiming this is a secret that God has given him the idea with homonyms is that a word has multiple meanings and that those multiple meanings should be in view when we translate um, the word. Now, uh, it's not it's not a new idea that uh, words have multiple meanings. You know, you take the word hand, hand can mean part of your body, or it can mean help, give me a hand, give me help. Or it can mean a round of applause, let's give him a hand. Um, so yeah. Obviously, words have multiple meanings, but we know that in the English language, 99% of the time, you are using one of those meanings and not the others. And when you're using multiple meanings, it tends to be a joke and it tends to be obvious to everyone. You know, a double entendre where you go, oh, I see what you've done there. It's you've done something clever with language. Um, So. But unfortunately he doesn't do that he he takes each word and uh, sees the whole range of possible meanings and then chooses the one that best fits the thing he's trying to draw out I think um, not sure if that's being slightly too harsh but certainly there are examples uh, of him doing that where you think well that's that's just not what's meant um, and it's not lost it's not secret it's just discredited and it's not it's not common practice amongst, uh, amongst scholars. Um,
0: yeah, I heard an interesting,
2: I remember reading an
0: interesting critique of the Amplified Bible along those lines. The Amplified Bible puts in brackets various different possible meanings for the original words. And, and, and I think this criticism was, well, look, that just lets you, the reader, pick which meaning you want rather than saying, well, I want, what we need to know is which meaning was did the author have in mind did he mean a round of applause or did he mean help i'm drowning
2: yeah Mm. so here's a quote from douglas moo who's a a linguist and a a translator the modern linguistic principle is that you give each word the least amount of meaning necessary to explain it in its context uh so that is and brian simmons brian simmons is obviously being very upfront that he's doing Something very, very different from that.
0: From what you're saying, Danny, it sounds like there's potential there for it to actually say things that the original authors weren't saying.
2: Um, Is that right? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, There's potential for that. And so sometimes he's very, very upfront about that. So, for example, he's translated the Song of Songs as um, an allegory between Christ and the church. That is the way. you need to translate it so he goes he goes as far as to say this I'm convinced there has been a demon spirit for thousands of years that comes on every person who reads the song of songs and says that you will not understand the song of songs it's all about sexuality you'll go blind if you read this book now obviously his tongue is firmly in his cheek the lord is unveiling things in this last days the lyrics in this song that are going to change the world so he's he's claim is that the song of songs is an allegory between christ and the church and that's how he's translated it which which means he's changed quite a bit of it okay. and um that the reason anyone would read it otherwise is because of a demonic spirit that's come upon them and the idea that it's about human sexuality is part of this demonic deception um, now i'm not saying that there aren't scholars who who interpret the song of songs like that but they don't translate the song of songs like that and it certainly isn't, I, I, in my experience, it isn't the majority view that that's how you should see Song of Songs uh, in, in terms of interpreting it and obviously not in terms of translating it. So he, he will often introduce new ideas. Um, I guess, you know, there are, there are words that are in the vocabulary of certain denominations. And so let me just give you a few examples. Um, the, the word realm, so within sort of charismatic theology, the idea that there's a human realm, a natural realm and a supernatural realm, and, and, and that's a that's big idea. The word realm appears in the ESV six times, and it appears in the NIV 44 times, but that's an outlier. The ESV six, NASB nine, New King James seven, NLT six. So um, you get the idea. In the Passion Translation, which isn't yet complete, but in the books we have so far, the word realm appears 196 times. Um, In in the Passion Translation, uh, the word activate appears six times in the books we have so far, but that doesn't appear once in the ESV, NASB, New King James, NIV or NLT. So this is kind of sectarian language. This is insider language um, being used in in the Bible, um, in a translation of the Bible. And it it kind of, certainly for me, it kind of rings alarm bells. Um, You're you're reading a a translation of the Bible that's certainly coming from a specific point of view. I guess the other big example is this kind of, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Simeon, but this um, prophetic movement that's going around the world called the Seven Mountain Mandate, where they believe there are sort of seven spheres of human um, thought. And uh, that there's there's a whole series of prophecies about how Christians should um, infiltrate and dominate these spheres and then Christ will come again. Uh, I, I don't, that's not, I'm not trying to accurately uh, portray the whole movement in that uh, one sentence, but you can, you can look it up. Um, but Brian Simmons has put the phrase mountains of influence into the Bible multiple times in places where other people haven't. So Psalm 72 in the Passion Translation, then the mountains of influence will be fruitful. But in the NIV that says, may the mountains bring prosperity to the people. He's put mountains of influence. Um, in Psalm 80, because of your favour on the vineyard, blessings extend to every mountain of influence. In, the, um, in Proverbs 8, it says, can't you hear the voice of wisdom from the top of the mountains of influence? So um, other Bible translations say high place or mountain, but they never say mountains of influence. That's kind of jargon. That's the vernacular of, of a particular movement within Christianity. And so it, it appeals to those people you know, you can understand that. And I suppose we all have our own insider language and we all have our own vocabulary. I'm not saying it's inherently wrong to have that, but I think you just need to know it's happening.
0: It sounds like with those mountains of influence example, that is, it sounds to, I've not heard about that before, but it sounds like that's importing a particular idea into those texts um, and, and putting that interpretation into the original, which means you're not in, sorry not the original but you know into the, the Bible text so you're not then yeah. free as a reader to decide mm. whether or not it might mean those mountains of inference.
2: Yeah. And and the, the passion claims for itself that it is a, a a version of the Bible that you can use as your main version for serious study. And that, that's why that's why I'm sort of pressing it quite hard to to sort of stand up to some of these claims. Um, In in some parts of the Bible, it will take the word slave and free and replace it with rich and poor, which is quite a different idea. Mm. So sometimes he will take things out of the Bible and then activate. That's an idea that he's importing into the Bible. The Bible doesn't really talk about God giving you spiritual gifts, which then have to be activated. It just talks about him giving you spiritual gifts. Mm. Um, And there are one or two places where I think... Um, the meaning has actually changed so if I could if I could give you a final example Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 10 13 in the passion translations it says we all experience times of testing which is normal for every human being but God will be faithful to you he will screen and filter the severity nature and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it and each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. Okay, I can see your jaws dropped. Now let me read that in the in the ESV. No, tempt- no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I think Brian Simmons has... Has reversed the meaning of that verse. Essentially, he's saying God will bring you out of it victoriously. Whereas I think Paul is saying God will allow you to endure it. He will give you grace to endure it. And Brian Simmons is saying He will give you grace to escape it, to 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 be delivered from it. Um, so you know, obviously, I'm I'm open to to you or others sort of correcting me in my understanding of that verse but it certainly feels to me that he's talking about talking about what god does in that situation very very differently from what i think paul was trying to say
1: so can i just um clarify something we we read about do not add or take away from this book would you say and it sounds as though you are saying it that Brian Simmons has done both. He seems to have added meaning, he seems to have added words, he also seems to have taken away things. Like, if if that is the case, then that surely is, like, major alarm bells that, like, I, I wouldn't want to be reading a book that is doing both these things that we're told not to do.
2: We've got, we've got to be, we've got to accept that when you're translating from one language into another, you, you do have to add words to, to make it, sound right to the ear there's there's no way around that um and so i think what's being said in the bible is don't add new revelation as if it can you know um, as if it can stand up with the rest of it but when you end up with a translation which is what 30 35 maybe sometimes 40 percent longer than than an official use translation like the niv um, you've got a lot more there which can go slightly sideways um, or at least is saying more than, than the Bible said. And I think, yeah, taking things out like slave and free, um, there's, there's, at best, that's artistic license, isn't it? At worst, you're trying to um, raise some ideas that should be there in the Bible. It certainly makes me nervous.
0: Things like um, the examples you gave from the Old Testament of the Mountains of Influence or the Song of Songs uh, being an allegory for christ in the church um, when we when we go back and read the old testament as christians of course we read it with hindsight we read it um understanding that um it's pointing forwards to christ um but we don't expect to find that explicitly on the surface of the old testament text except in you know a few occasional places like you know you bethlehem uh, from you will come a ruler um actually you know say the song of songs for example when that was written the writer was not thinking about christ and the church because he had never heard of christ or the church um because uh, it was hundreds of years away um he's thinking about something else but the holy spirit is inspiring something which will later help to illuminate the relationship between christ and the church um and so that that reading with hindsight happens the hindsight comes in at the stage of us as christian readers seeing ah holy spirit i see what you did there um that is but it's not there in the mind and in the literal words of the original writer what do you make of all this anna what do you um does it make you want to go out and um, pick up the Passion Translation? Do you think you would find it, a, do you think you find it at all helpful? Would it have a place in your reading?
1: No. <laughs> no, I'm, I think all of this is deeply concerning to me. Um, I think little alarm bells, big alarm bells are going off. You know, I want people to be reading the Bible and be growing in their love of Scripture and be growing in their relationship with God and maturing. And do I think that this this book will help um, people do that? Well, I don't I don't think it would help me do that. if it leads them to actually read other translations of the bible where normally they wouldn't even be picking up the bible in the first place well i guess that's it's a stepping stone in the right direction um but i yeah i i think i just have i just have sort of too many alarm bells going off at the moment that just would make me um be very 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 cautious
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think if you're going to give hours and hours to a Bible translation, which hopefully you are, um, there, are there are ones I would, I would steer you towards long before this one.
0: Yeah, I think if I were going to pick it up and use it, I'd be picking up and using it in the same way that I pick up a book from The pile By My Bed, which is a whole bunch of different books about people writing about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I read them with my knowledge of the Bible in the back of my mind yeah do I think they're right do I think they're wrong mm-hmm. um, which is a very different way of reading to when I pick up um a bible I'm not yeah. thinking is this right is this wrong um occasionally I might think oh interesting translation I wonder what the others say oh mm-hmm. yes okay that bit of translation is debated fine but I'm not um but that's not the main thing that's going on in my head um when I'm reading an, a bible translation it's mm-hmm. it's Okay this is the Word of God to me how do I interpret it how do I understand it mm. um, and it sounds like that wouldn't be a great way to be picking up and reading the passion translation
2: no I think I think um, like like the amplified Bible opens a door by giving you lots of meanings and choose your meaning the the passion opens multiple doors by you know referring to the original Aramaic which is a big question mark and then the, these um, homonyms and also the etymological fallacy about where words came from. And so he does that quite a lot. If you were to do that in English, like you were to say, take the word butterfly and say, oh, now this word is made up of the two words butter and fly. And therefore, in 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 translating this um, this idea of a butterfly, you've got to bear in mind dairy products and cream. and um, and, and that's just not how language works exactly, is it? So um, I think you, you just, you very, very quickly end up off the beaten path.
0: Well, we will leave it there. Thank you guys very much for helping us think through these things. Um, uh, I'm sure we'd be happy to um, chat to anyone who got, who's got questions about Bible translations. Um, we love the Bible. We want everyone in the church to love the Bible. So mm. um, talk to us if we can help with that. But for now, for now, it's goodbye from me.
2: It's goodbye from her.
1: (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) And you. You
0: have to say goodbye, Daniel.
2: Goodbye. (laughs)